Welcome to Inside the War Room. Ryan Ray here. As always, today we have on Chris Duffin. But first, if you could drop us a five-star review. A lot of things are in motion, and we need your help. This takes two seconds to drop a five-star review. Okay, with that being said, Chris Duffin is today's guest. He's an inventor, thought leader, and entrepreneur in health and fitness. He has co-founded the globally recognized Kabuta Strength, where he serves as the chief visionary officer. Um, he, I mean, he's got, he's got an incredible story, right? So we're going to talk about his best-selling book, The Eagle and the Dragon, uh, and it is it's incredible. So hope you enjoy my interview with Chris Duffin. Chris, welcome to the War Room. Hey, thank you. Looking forward to uh, some uh, good conversation. Okay, um, since this is an audio podcast, uh, I'm going to do a little visual representation for the listeners. You're extremely jacked. Um, no one's ever said that about me, but we're going to pretend that I'm not as bad unjacked okay, <laughs> as okay. it might be. Um, <laughs> so It's orders of magnitude difference between us, but we're going to pretend that it's not that bad. So um, obviously you you do a lot of stuff, but you're, you're big in the fitness and the strength and, uh, you know, taking care of yourself. So what pushed you in that direction? What made that so important for you? Yeah. Uh, so that's been a big part of my life. I mean, I've been training for over 30 years. And so the question is, uh, very early on is in myself discovering that, you know, when I had the opportunity to go out and take on challenge that, that I could learn from it both personally and well as coming back, like stronger, more confident in myself. And so <clears throat> just a quick backstory, you know, I started training when I was like 11 or 12 years old, but honestly, it was just a very, very physically demanding environment that I grew up because I, I grew up homeless in the wilderness where this is through Northern California and then Oregon and dealing with just a lot of like struggle and strife in that. So, you know, I dealt with dealing with, you know, drug trafficking. If you read a, watch a documentary called Murder Mountain, you know, we lived in that area actually deeper and more remote, dealt with serial killers, murderers, uh, human trafficking, just all sorts of whack fuck shit. And in that environment, it was like, you know, we might be logging, dealing with the crops, uh, later years mining. And I was just always like, had this huge physical uh, component in my life. And so so when I had the opportunity to start like purposefully chasing that with strength training at a very early age, I, I did so. And it was, it was also just influenced pretty heavily by my, my parents sounds uh, a little unusual going, well, if they put you in that environment, you know what, but uh, they were very much of the philosophy of, you know, strong mind, strong back. And so, you know, growing up, it was, you know, I was reading by campfire, reading by, flashlight, candlelight, like that's what we did is like peruse the library. And I was definitely, definitely a nerd. And it was to, it was to balance that at the same time. You know, if you're the smartest kid in the school, you know, I also wanted to not be, not be picked on and have, mm -hmm. you know, again, building that, uh, that, that self-esteem. And I, and so it's just been something that is, is stuck with me for, for, you know, well, my, my entire life. And so you mentioned being homeless and I'll link to for the listeners, murder mountain uh, documentary so they can watch that in the show notes. Um, homelessness is a, is a thing that is depending on where you're at in the world, depends on 
you know, how severe it is. Uh, I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm just saying that it's when you hear this, it's, it's hard maybe for someone like me who hasn't been homeless. Um, I've seen extreme poverty in some third world countries, but I haven't been around a lot of homelessness. I, I, I've worked at a homeless shelter um, as a server for some food for a little bit of time, but mm-hmm. I've not really dealt with uh, what that's like on a personal level to go through, yeah. Uh, yeah. to come out of, and then to look back on the way that you do. So how you, you mentioned your parents, but I'm sure it was a process that you had to go through to think about that and then to kind of grapple with it and, and then to, to, to own it, to, to live through it and own it and talk about it like you do. Yeah. So it's, you know, some, some stories like, so I've got my book, the Eagle and the dragon, and it's, it's really a great inspirational story as well as it teaches a lot of lessons from the scope of life that I've had. And, you know, at six years old, you know, I was, we were living in the wilderness, no car, no vehicle. You've got to trek out to our campsite and there's rattlesnakes all around. So we had beams lashed up in the trees and that's where we slept at night. And, and I was being taught how to capture and handle live rattlesnakes at six years old, because that was the environment that I lived in, right? My, my sister or my mom was pregnant at the time. I had a younger brother and a younger sister, and she was pregnant with my second sister. You know, and so, you know, she had to hike out to the road, gravel road, catch a ride with a dump truck. She drove in the dump truck uh, down to, uh, down to the city and cl- basically climbed out of the back of the dump truck in the you know, emergency delivery to deliver my sister. And then, you know, what was it? Maybe a couple of years later, I remember we had a, a rough winter. We were living off of 50 pound bag of rice and a 50 pound bag of beans. You know, that's the only thing oh. uh, we would poach some deer and parents would make sure that us kids had meat. But that winter, you know, I watched my parents just kind of like wither mm. down over the course of it. So seeing that is, is pretty, pretty bad. And then, you know, then we had uh, weevils infest the rice. I'm sitting there eating, eating one time. And I'm like, mom, why do the, the rice at all? There's a bunch, there's that ones in here. I've got a little black, you know, end on it. And it's like, oh no, that's not rice. That's, that's the head of the weevil. that <laughs> looks like, it <laughs> looks like rice in our food. Right. Um, and and when you're in that environment, like where we were, this is a very remote part of Northern California. And we were, I don't know how to put it, but kind of preyed upon in that, that environment because, you know, you're looked at as being, I guess, less than, less than other people or whatever. And mm-hmm. so uh, the, <clears throat> it, it's a little hard for me to talk about uh, this part still, but um, uh, essentially um, the, the sheriff was a part of a, uh, human trafficking ring. And so, uh, they came in and we were all up in a campsite up in the, uh, the wilderness and they came in and took all of us kids, which, you know, maybe can't argue that maybe that shouldn't have happened, but, uh, put us all in uh, protective services, but that was actually, um, that was to sell my siblings. And, uh, so anyway, the sheriff and my mom figured all this out while she was in jail and found, uh, went to the, went to the DA and kind of, well, he found it out. She's like, something is very wrong here. And, and they, uh, uh, yeah, the person that had my sisters as well as the sheriff and a bunch of, uh, other people on the force, again, very small remote community, but they uh, made national news at the time. Uh, they were trying to, uh, escape the country at that point. But, um, yeah, so it's 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 different, you know. And my parents end up getting us back. We spent uh, 
in Eastern Oregon. And at that point, they got out of the drug trade, never wanting to have a chance to uh, lose their kids again, but pretty quickly kind of fell back into not wanting to be part of society. And so we're up in the mountains, logging, mining. Uh, I'm helping along with that. But, you know, we're a big family living on less than $5,000 a year. You know, I've got three sisters. Uh, we'd lost my brother by that point. And we're living in a 16 foot trailer. And there's you know, it gets in that Eastern Oregon area, it gets 30, 40 below, you know, during the winter. And I'm sleeping in the back of a Toyota pickup truck with a, with a shell on it because they couldn't fit in the, uh, the 16 foot trailer that we would be in during the day. Uh, once we laid out the beds and yeah, I didn't have sub-zero bags or shit like that. You know, I had trouble sleeping because I was constantly moving and trying to, to stay, stay warm. So it's a very different environment than you see a lot of people low income these days, but they still have nice clothes and still have, uh, you know, a fancy smartphone, you know, that's, I was, I was made fun of and ridiculed at school because I smelled, you know, to wash, you know, you're, you're filling a gallon jug in water, you know, down the stream and you set it on the rocks during the sun, during the day, and you pour it over your head. You know, if we had a place to live in, you know, oftentimes it was lacking running water or lacking electricity or both, you know, it was my job in those situations to, you know, there was, there's another little cabin, uh, probably about the size of my office that I'm sitting in right here that we all lived in. And there's nothing in it. And so there's a curtain in the corner with a five gallon bucket. That's the shit bucket. And that was my job to, to go out and dig a hole and bury, bury the shit bucket. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it, it was a different life. I experienced nearly most every type of trauma that you can have. And, and I knew it was something that I needed to exit. And so, I didn't know how or why I didn't really have any mentors or advisors so much, but I, I, I wanted to put one foot in front of the other and persevere. And so I didn't, I didn't know what was driving me at that time. Really a lot of this stuff that I'm talking about didn't hit me until I was like in my mid thirties and like reflecting on seeing my own kids at that age. And then like imagining them in that situation. And that when it, it just brought, brought me such a degree of like sadness. And that's when I decided to write my book. But at the time, I think it was survivor mentality. Like I, I was somebody that the, the family relied on and I, and I didn't really realize so much. And so till I, I was, I excelled at academics. I excelled at athletics. I was a state level wrestler. I was valedictorian. I got a full ride academic scholarship to go to school. And then when I was in college, uh, I quit kind of calling or going home because I'd, every time I do that, I'd have to give my parents money. And so the first year and a half, I just kind of focused on myself and things got way worse at home. So I ended up taking custody of my three younger sisters and I ended up raising them through my junior, senior years of college. And then as I was chasing my career, working on my MBA, I raised them through all of their teenage years because things had gotten very, very, very bad at home. Uh, so that is, uh, again, you know, there's a, there's a lot that I learned in some of those micro lessons and I, and I try to pass that along, but I also learned that I, I could not use my experiences, my trauma as a definition of myself. I had a tattoo done at this time. I'm 18 years old and I started a tattoo and it starts around my ankle and it rolls up the front of my my body, my stomach, my chest across my back, and it's two eagles. 
and and both of the eagles are trying to escape but they they've got a shackle on the, their foot and it, this chain runs all the way down and then is tied to my ankle and to me that uh symbolized that point in my life it was a 40 hour near giant piece but it was like you can fly to whatever heights you want in in the world the only thing holding yourself back is at the end of the day is yourself and so it's realizing your strengths and that you're defined by your actions and responses to the world not by the things that have happened to you and the only thing that you have the ability to test that and find that is is to challenge yourself challenge yourself body mind and soul and so so i i, I pushed on those fronts and so uh i know i'm talking for a long time here but uh you know, we're talking about the scope. I came from that to taking care of my siblings, raising them to excelling in the in the corporate world. I ended up growing to where I was turning, running and turning around companies. And that's what I was sought for. I did that in automotive manufacturing, aerospace manufacturing, heavy industrial uh, for, well, I didn't start there. Uh, so I ended up doing that for about 10 years of my, you know, close to 20 years in that, uh, in that, that, that segment before moving on to other things so uh yeah that's uh i guess not quite the elevator pitch but uh, <laughs> uh paints that paints the picture of what we're talking about because it is it is distinctly different than a lot of what you see and it's not like every day or every year was you know living in a tent or living in a tree but by the time i graduated high school about half my life had been that it, that and none of it had been easy so two things there. We'll start with this one first. The one word came to mind as you were telling that story is vulnerable. Um, you're out exposed to the elements, picking up rattlesnakes, you're bathing in the river, the sheriff incident. Did you feel vulnerable? And is that something that you've had to learn how to grapple with as you've gone on? And what would you give advice for people who feel vulnerable? Because as you were telling that story, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know, you know, it's one thing to go camping. I don't know how I would function with my wife and kids uh, in a state of vulnerability like that. That would be um, uh, something that I like mentally, I don't know if I'm prepared for something like that. So did, did you realize it at the time or looking back, is that one of the reflections that you had? You know, looking back, that's one of the things that I really realized that it taught me was to, to not be afraid to be a tryhard, to not be afraid to jump into something that you can fail and to have the confidence that if you spend the time and the effort, you can figure it out and you may not be great at it to start with, but it's, it's like, you know, you, you're forced into these situations of battling the elements and the environment around you and discovering in that process, failure leads to confidence because you're going to fail and you're going to fail and you're going to fail, but then you try again because you have to, and you, and you keep coming around until that then builds the confidence in you knowing that no matter how many times you, you may not succeed or fail or look like an ass or be made front of, or whatever it is that you can get, you can turn that around and you can get there. And so I think that that's something that we really miss. And I, I reflect on that in my parenting, because I don't know exactly you know, the, the whys and the hows, but I do know that thinking and trying to help your, you know, the people around you or your child to always be to win, to be a success and to remove those opportunities removes the chance of them actually learning the confidence that they can, they can overcome when they do fail. You need to have the opportunity to have that vulnerability of going, 
you know what? I'm not good enough right now. I'm not smart enough. I'm not whatever it is, but I can be. If I put my mind to it, I can overcome this. It doesn't matter that somebody else bettered me and gotten whatever spot it was, or I, you know, I didn't, I didn't dig the trench right. And my, my, my tent swamped out and I'm going to be dealing with this for the next couple of days. Cause I can't dry it out. Like that you're going to figure out a way around that. Right. And so, so I think that's a really important element And the rattlesnake story. There's a, there, there, there's a teaching lesson there too. And it's somewhat related. Right. So, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, with a rattlesnake between the head, between my, you know, thumb and my forefinger, and it's wrapped around your arm. And it's like you feel that slither, you know, into like you're looking into those eyes. And the only thing it wants to do is strike and kill you. Right. And you learn to handle fear because if I let the fear overcome me, I would die. But if I'm I'm just cocky, confident, and don't respect the fear, I'm going to die, right? So, so that teaches us some really interesting lessons that, you know, fear is a valuable thing. Don't let it overcome you, but to, to, to respect that. And if we move that into like the current environment, like where I live today, like, and most people do is like, you know, with work, career, or being a business leader, whatever, you end up in these points where you feel like, overwhelmed with life, you know, things coming at you. And it's, again, have the vulnerability to go, I accept this. I'm at this point right now that I am struggling and I don't know that I can get through. And this is just where I'm at in the world. But let's reflect on that fear piece. Hey, that means I actually care about this. That means I'm going to perform better because of the fact that I am, you know, have anxiety, fear, I care, like, it's a real thing. And it's going to drive my performance to be better. And then also, take a moment to celebrate that. Like, those are the stories that my life is that my book is, and those are going to be the stories of what your life is. Like, if you're in some difficult, challenging spot, these are the, the things that you tell your kids and your grandkids about the glory days in your life. And these are the opportunities to have to grow. You know, if you sit there and you find the comfort and the easy way of life and you're just like riding through, you're going to be laying there on your fucking deathbed going, I wish I'd done more. I don't have much to remember. Like life isn't about getting to the next chapter when you're through with the fucking hardship. And you've got to, and that's what we're always trying to get to. Like, oh, once I get through this phase, you know, it's going to be easier and realizing those are the moments. So, you know, that's my three-step kind of process for like using my experiences to how do you deal with, you know, the stress, the problems, the things in life when they're just fucking just buffeting you is, is to use, you know, that, that, that process, you know, first step right there, vulnerability. I am here right now. I accept the fact that I actually feel this way too. I feel that way. That means I'm going to perform well. I care about this. So I need to step to the table in three, fucking celebrate that shit because that's something that's 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 going to be a big part of your life. And, yeah, it, uh, it, so. it sounds counterintuitive, but I was on a co uh, coaching call one time and and uh, he, the, the guy was saying something similar to about that. It's like, you know, whatever you're concerned about right now, um, you know, don't don't negate it like it's not a real thing. It's okay to be concerned or uh, fearful or, or whatever the emotion was he was describing was at the time. And I, I was like, ah, this is kind of, I'm not sure about this. And I stopped and I thought, I'm like, wait, I don't actually, actually, yeah. Trying to ignore it almost, 
almost makes it worse because then I'm not dealing with the issue at hand. I'm trying to pretend like it's not there. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that, I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot well, of reason there. And, and uh, it, it, it's interesting. So uh, a gentleman I know is uh, named Andrew Huberman and he is, um, you know, leads the neuroscience lab uh, uh, at uh, gosh, darn it, <laughs> not Berkeley. Anyway, uh, he's got a great podcast around um, these concepts. And one of the, he was interviewing, he interviews like top researchers in these fields. And one of them was going through stress response and they, they use different words and approaches, but it was, it ended up being the exact three-step uh, 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 process, um, you know, slightly reframed or whatever, but like, I'm like, oh, okay. Like this, mm -hmm. the, this approach is actually, you know, validated in research. And so, uh, you know, if, you know, the leading neuroscience uh, people in the, in the world are going, Hey, this is a approach. I'm like, all right, maybe I did stumble on something. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like, um, it's like anything else that going through things um, you're going to fail at various things. And if you keep note of what didn't work and you're trying to work on it, then you can actually develop a pretty high functioning system because you in your life had a lot of adversity to overcome. And so I'm sure there was times where it didn't go right. Sometimes it did. And so balancing that you, the neuroscientists are probably in there reading the books of all the literature of all the people they studied. And you're, you're actually running the scientific experiment through your childhood. Yeah. And that's actually, <laughs> they call me the mad scientist, by the way, in the fitness realm, because, mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, I, I kind of go out there on the tier, but I, 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 I walk the walk of everything that I do. Right. And I don't bring into the thing to the table unless I've done it and I know it and it's validated and not that it's like the shiny new thing that's caught my freaking attention. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to one more. I said there's two questions on the homeless aspect. Um, just real quick. Is there any advice for people who know someone who's homeless or is there any general counsel? I'm sure each situation is unique, but any advice for people who are dealing with a family member or a friend that's going through that, like how to counsel them, uh, how to get them out of that situation? Um. I, I'm not sure that I have some really solid advice in that arena because what I see today is a very different uh, environment a lot of times than what I experienced. Uh, so there's usually pretty significant level of, you know, mental health and uh, drugs, and then just a whole culture that supports it, as well as you know a lot of, uh, you know, a, a political environment that has also enabled this. Um, so. The only thing that I do is, you know, try to share some of this same messaging around struggle and strife and that, you know, you can, you can use this as an opportunity to leverage. Yeah. You know, it, that, that's a super powerful that is the essence of life is to, right. to overcome without it. We don't, there is no life and I'm not, this is not, you know, overarching philosophy. Like if you break your arm and you put a cast on, the muscles immediately get into atrophy. The bone heals because it had some fucking struggle and strife. So it actually grows. But if we leave it in the cast, now it will continue. The bone would, can, would, would actually start losing size, become brittle and so on. So working against the environment, like when you've got that struggle, it's actually has the potential to, to build you up. But understand, we all have a different baseline level of resilience. So, you know, I use my arm, broken arm versus, you know, doing some curls, right? Do some curls. You're going to gain some bone mass. You're going to gain some muscle size, but you don't just walk into a gym and be able to, you know, go in and squat 
500 pounds for a bunch of reps, you have to build to it. So, so that's an important thing is, you know, help people understand like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe it was too much for you. Right. But we can still, you know, we can still lever and layer, right. You can still overcome that. Um, but you know, there's times in life that things are overwhelming. They're beyond your capacity and, and they put you there, accept that, but now also accept that this is an opportunity that I can leverage and grow stronger from if I look at it and use it in that fashion to help build me up instead of break me down. Yeah. So going from, you mentioned that you had scholarships to college. So going from high school where you're kind of made fun of because you, you don't have the, the, the normal hygiene that most students have, obviously you're an academic, so you're smart. Um, and you go to college on scholarship. What was that transition like from going to probably a little bit more isolated, especially in the evenings uh, at school, you're around people to being around people all the time and trying to overcome maybe some of that social awkwardness that I would assume would be there? Yeah, that's a really good question, uh, because that was a very different experience. All of a sudden, I was on the same plane as everybody else. They didn't know my past history. They didn't know I was a kid living in a trailer down by the river, right? And even in high school, maybe they didn't know that, but I thought that everybody you know, knew that, right? And so, you know, everybody's on that same field. So it really kind of opened things up for me. And some of this was good and some was bad in the fact that I did end up using alcohol to kind of facilitate that after, after a while. And it really allowed me to overcome some of my, my anxiety, my ability to just realize that, oh my gosh, you know, I am. I, I am a person that is charismatic and, you know, girls like me and are attracted to me and just like, so it, it did move that. Unfortunately, I, I, I went a little too far with that uh, during the course of college and some of the post years where I let that overtake, overtake me just, you know, kind of runs in the, runs in the blood a bit. Right. And the, in the circumstances I've been through, but, you know, when I say full, right, you know, it was a full right academic scholarship, but that, it's not really enough to really kind of take care of your whole life. Right. And so, and then I also had other responsibilities with my sisters and things like that. So I ended up working kind of almost basically full time all the way through college. And this isn't necessarily a good thing, but you know, you just, you use what tools you have in life to survive. And so I was really good at taking tests. And so I basically, I didn't go to school very often or buy books and I just, I didn't need to. So I'd focus on, on work. I'd get the grades that I needed. Then I picked up my sisters and so on. I started a business. I started working in my career before I even graduated. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I'm not going to make any excuses for it, but I, uh, I, you know, I, I definitely had that shift of coming into my own and discovering that, a lot about myself that I was very different than what I knew of myself from, uh, you know, high school in the earlier years, you know, I was, Oh, the quiet reserved kid. I was yeah, just eh, the introvert and, you know, I still am at heart, but I, I have, uh, you know, learned that, you know, have the ability to really impact and empower others and, you know, bring people into the fold and beliefs and things that I, mm-hmm. that I do. And, and, and so that, uh, it was a pretty big transition for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a couple of things that, that, that 
stick out to me is, is sometimes in especially modern society, it's always a go, go, go. And so you're transitioning from a, you know, a 180 basically from where mm-hmm. you're at, where you're at. And there's no real take a deep breath, reset the mind. What am, what am I about to go through? And to your point earlier um, about people going through similar things, it's, it's, it's extremely important. We know some people right now in our lives that are going through some medical issues and their doctors are advising them to talk to people who have gone through the treatment. So they can, they can sit. And so, you know, we, it's decided we've kind of maybe lost that communal element uh, in your situation probably wasn't necessarily available to you, but just generally speaking for people listening that I think that that's something that's quite important is having people who have gone through that, give you advice. And then sometimes just taking a slight pause because these, these uh, cataclysmic shifts in life, which happen to us from time to time. Um, sometimes we do have to just take a break. You know, we just have yep. to take a, you know, I'm not saying a three year hiatus, but just a decompression time to think about what did I go through and what am I preparing to go through and how do I make that transition? Sometimes you can persevere, but there's nothing wrong with a, okay. Okay. Hey, where am I Abs- going? Absolutely. And that is really like how, one of the ways I try to describe my book is it's, it's kind of a guide on your own introspective journey. Like I use my story to facilitate some of the lessons, but also that dive of introspection and better understanding of yourself. And I think that's something that I did a lot through my life that is, it has helped me kind of peel back those layers and really understand what my values are, what are the driving things that I want to do and be and how the way I want to live. And that is, we're caught, you talk about, you know, the world and it's go, 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 go. And it's so much is around this, even like entrepreneur world and others, you know, where it's like this motivation, I call it hustle porn stuff. Like you need to go get yours, F the haters. It's in the sports world too, right? You, and, you know, it's all about, you know, get your, get your things, whatever, and, and, and not really taking a step back and going, why do I want those things? Why do I want that career? Why do I, like winning is not becoming the doctor or the NFL player or having the mansion and the fancy car or any of those things. Those are all just things that embody some aspect of it. So like, if you want to have things, the fancy house and the car, like, why do you want those things? Is it a sense of accomplishment? Is it maybe a a sense of security, knowing that, like, for me, like, and so that is so important to understand, like, in that example, it's a really easy one for me to relate, because if you focus on those things, you may position yourself, because you're like, man, you know, internally, you've never really done a deep dive to understand security is a big driver, and you know that, God, I, I feel I want those things, because when I have those, I know I'll be able to take care of my family, myself, not be, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And you over leverage yourself to get those things. And all of a sudden you're hating life because you're scraping to make ends meet. And you're like, why do I hate this? Right. If you, if, if, if you want to be a, an NF L star, why do you want that? Right. Is it to inspire others? Is it the, cha- the, 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 the chasing, um, you know, you know, challenge, is it, what are these drivers? Because at any time that could be taken away from you. And so if you identify as those things, they can be taken away from you. You're a surgeon and you freaking break your hands, right? And you're no longer able to do that. Why? What's the deeper reasons behind it? And they're things that you can never really have, but yet always have, because they're more of a way of being in, in living, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, 
it's it's just really important lesson to just always be asking yourself another layer of why and peeling back those onions uh the layers of the onion you know the the five why process mm -hmm. or any other method but you're going to get to something that is more of a a feeling so for me continual learning sense of family and i use that very distinctly versus family because you can have one of the sense of family or community right accomplishment uh, recognition yeah take ego out of this shit like i like to be recognized for when i've done a great job and you know and some of these are counter security is counter to you know challenge and accomplishment right they're gonna there's gonna be an interplay there and so you know understanding that stuff can really help you create a life in goals goals that allow you to express so this is where you get to a great point is everything should be focused around expressing those values and once you get that then you can then you can really have effective goal setting this is why i freaking hate i'm going sorry i'm going on a rant again but i hate like bucket lists and stuff like that you need to have a hundred things or whatever things and you jump you're like why right mm -hmm. Because those are all, you know, make sure those are aligned with those values and they're different ways of expressing, expressing that. Yeah. And I think that a couple of things that you, you said there that, that, that I thought maybe the wheel turn, if you will, first to the hustle culture thing. Um, if you kind of look at the, the, sh the relatively short-term history of the industrial re revolution in the U S and manufacturing, you know, we went from kind of agrarian to manufacturing jobs. And so those are very much systematic jobs. You input, output, input, output, and you do this. And then we've kind of moved into the technology age. And I don't know if we as society have done a good job of figuring out how to be efficient in the technology age. And so there's a lot of struggle around hustle. And part of that is because a lot of us as a society aren't sure the input and outputs. And if we could get the input outputs, maybe we don't need 40 hours a week. Maybe we can do it in 20. Yeah. Maybe we need 60 sometimes. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to working long hours for sure, but I'm saying we don't we're not good at the input output thing right now. And so I think that's part of this hustle culture mentality is that we're at the core, what we should be saying is it's not about hustling uh, that that can be parts of your life where you need that, but it's about getting the inputs. So you get the outputs, right? Yes. So uh, it's about getting the alignment and you know, all that stuff, because there, there's a process that I used to use when I do uh turnaround stuff. And it was, it was related to manufacturing process and stuff, but it's a very simple, you know, fundamental thing. I think Edward Deming started it in Japan in the forties following uh, world war um, two is five S. And so you start that process by literally removing everything from a work cell. Right. And then that forces you to, instead of like trying to figure out what's important, what's not, you got to start from ground zero. Okay. I need this. This is really important. You can do this with your life and all the tasks, because you will find there's so much stuff that you think that you need to do that you don't need to, because it's become a habit. It's become some sort of expectation, like just don't do it and see what happens, right? Pretty quickly, you'll find, you know, wife is a little unhappy with how you smell because you're not doing your laundry, you know, like um, you're going to run this for, oh, I need to do that, right? Uh, but the the point being is, we do so much stuff that's not aligned with like the big things that we want to do in life. And so if it's, if it falls in that category, just don't fucking do it. Mm -hmm. One, then figure out how you can automate it mm -hmm. or 
is the step two and then either is you know delegate or outsource those things so you can have the focus on the things that are yours so before i made the big shift uh for myself of chasing you know helping helping people people build a helping people build bah, helping people live a better quality of life through the development of resilience getting out of pain feeling better and being more resilient to be able to take on the stresses and challenges. And that's where Kabuki strength, build fast, barefoot, they all came from, from that. And it's the shift. I, I walked away from this amazing career that I was highly successful at, sought after, made a lot of money to leverage everything that I've earned, sell my homes, put my retirement up, and then not make any money, right? Why? Because I really believed in this. This was the way that I could really express you know, the, the way and the impact that I wanted to have on the world. And, um, but before that, there's another driver and it comes down to this. I was competing as one of the best strength athletes in the world. Because of that, I owned a gym on the side and I loved helping people. So I was coaching at the gym. I was running an aerospace company doing a big turnaround at the time. And I had kids uh, who are getting older and going to be getting involved in sports. And then I had some hobbies on top of that, which is designing and fabricating, uh, you know, it's just like my, my space where, you know, that, that makes me feel good. It's my creative, it's my creative outlet. One of my values is to have that. And I didn't have that in my work. So it's like, fuck, something's got to give here, man. I can't possibly do all this. So the only natural thing to give was, was the job. It wasn't going to be family wasn't going to be, you know, my creative outlet. It wasn't going to be my training. And so as an output of that, I created my company. And in within that, I created the company around the values and the way that I, I believe in. And it started drawing people to it that end up being now my friends, my community. My training became part of my work because it expressed what I did. So it wasn't something after hours, right? My creativity went into designing new products that change in the face of fitness. I mean, uh, we're not on a, a video, but I've got a, you know, a show of teams behind me, some awards, Guinness world records, all sorts of shit. I work with 90% of all professional sports teams in North America, like every major college you could think of hundreds, 600, I think every single major league baseball, baseball team, so on like, and that's the equipment that I, that was my creative outlet. So now every, all these other extraneous things now became my work. And now every day I woke up, I wake up and I spend the morning with my wife and my kids. My wife might join me for lunch. I train during the course of my day. And then I go home. I've created three, four more hours of day for my family. Yet I'm also working harder and longer than I've ever worked before at the same time, right? But I started creating alignment around all those things. And it, it, instead of being separate things, and that's what I talk about, like cutting the shit out and getting alignment. Now that's pretty extreme. Not most people can't like just go do necessarily what I did, but it gives you some perspective on, on what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I think one thing I would say is, is, um, you know, um, I had the pre the pleasure of meeting the president of Ghana last year in a, in a kind of closed door uh, meeting with, you know, 20, 30 of us. And, and people say, well, well how'd you pull it off? Well, if you start going, you start kind of backtracking, obviously the plan wasn't to meet the president of Ghana, it just worked out that way. But if 
if I went back and started talking about all the things that I did to align my networking strategy, which is to be in the international business space, you know, that's ultimately, so I aligned so many things to focus on that. And what I found was, is how I got in that room was really, did I, was I the most business savvy? Did I have the most to offer? Well, no, not I caught it at all, but, but I had aligned of myself. And I think so many people, you talk about the, going back to hustle culture, hustle culture mentality. There's a sense in which you can probably beat the guy next to you or the girl next to you by just a slight reshifting of your priorities and focus. It's, it's so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say that they're good or bad. I've just, I've just noticed that, that in business and life, that you can get into weird rooms, places that you don't think you'd be by just a little bit of, just a little bit of alignment of effort. And, and really understand why am I here? What is the output? Because sometimes you can get lost in the gravity of all this stuff. And I'm here to, you know, and it's like, you know, my goal is to get this, you know, <laughs> I need to main to get this relationship, which is going to deliver this. doesn't matter that I, I'm not up on stage, you know, being the keynote speaker or whatever, like what is, what is really the thing that I'm trying to accomplish here? And you're like, oh, all of a sudden this like highly prestigious thing, like uh, to be on this TV show, they, they want me to come. I'm like, that doesn't fit with like the things that I, uh, that are important to me and what I'm trying to move forward. But mm-hmm. that's a big, awesome thing. Mm-hmm. No. Right. No, no is also- it helps you say no, which is really, really important. And that get, drives back to the whole thing. I'm like, cut the fluff. Yeah. And so you have to, um, you have to understand, you know, those values that another process I have is kind of pretty unique is around, I call it the balance of extremes. So it, it helps you. It's actually just what I, uh, just articulated with my, my life story, uh, my, my transition story, right. Mm-hmm. It's chasing things to such an extreme level that, you know, that, that are almost a dichotomy to, to each other work-life balance. That was the example there. Mm. Um, I use, I'm the only person that's both squatted a thousand pounds and deadlifted a thousand pounds. And I did it for reps and they're executed extremely well. I, I did not, just for the listeners, I did 995 of each. I couldn't do that last. I, I was close. I was close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, if I tell people, I want you to absolutely perfect your form. Like you, every, try to find every imperfection and correct it. They're like, oh, I need to do it with body weight or an empty bar. And I go, no, no, I, I want you to put every last ounce, like nothing, leave the essence of your soul with that bar. And they're like, oh, forms to the wind. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want both of those extremes and you chase it and it'll cut out a whole lot of, you all of a sudden find there's a whole lot of extraneous stuff that you're maybe doing because that's got to fall away mm-hmm. to chase those. And you'll find this beautiful thing in the center. And that was what I tried to articulate there with my, my work-life balance, for example. Mm-hmm. But so many things, you think it's a dichotomy, but if you know it, but it, that process one creates kind of an epic life like right you're doing things and really put you're not trying to find balance through mediocrity mm-hmm. um oh wait about uh, ba- yeah balance me anyway uh exactly um so it uh it helps you find those values yeah it helps you because the the non-essential stuff will will become evident because all you had to do was pick the thing or things that you know that you truly care about and that you want to chase and chase that dichotomy and push those to extremes. And it will make those other things, you know, hope another process for helping you find uh, the things that you really care about. 
and yeah, letting almost like a like a like a large Venn diagram, and then find the thing in the center, and then say, okay, well, now we know what to cut out because we've, yeah. we've isolated it. Okay, so you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I joked at the beginning. I went joking. I was being serious about you being jacked, me not being jacked. I'm definitely not jacked. Um, you, you just mentioned that you've benched a thousand pounds. I mean, uh, squatted a thousand pounds and deadlifted a thousand pounds. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, I am. So first off, I want to talk a little bit about misconceptions um, and kind of get your thoughts on that. So I'm 37. I'm definitely overweight. I'm not, and I don't have the desire to necessarily deadlift a thousand pounds or squat a thousand pounds. That doesn't. In the Venn diagram, there's not even a circle for that. So, yeah, yeah. but, but it, it would be helpful for, um, you know, to get a little bit more strength, a bit more flexibility. So what are your thoughts on, you, you mentioned heavy weightlifting. We haven't, I haven't heard anything about yoga. I don't know if you thought on yoga, uh, running, kind of unpack some of the common popular um, uh, conditioning programs and, and your thoughts on why you are doing what you're doing. Yeah. So um, to me, I don't, I don't really care that it's what it is, as long as you have some aspect of physical culture in your life, that you are chasing challenge in both, you know, body, mind, and soul. If you're missing one of those legs of that three-legged stool, it's going to affect everything else. And it could get to the point where you fall down because of it. And so it's, it's essential that this is living being things like this is what we need to do. And so I don't care whether what it is, 10 minutes a day, get yourself active doing something right now. Strength training has a lot of negative connotations because, you know, oh, I used to do that. You hear stories till my, I broke my back, my knees and so on. When actually, and that's why I use the term resilience quite a bit. If you if done properly, strength training enhances your ability to, to live a better quality of life. It makes you more resilient to the different things that you don't expect coming out there. It's the most number one healthcare cost in America. Number one healthcare cost in America is low back pain. And we can manage and control that almost entirely ourselves. Now, outside of a car hitting you or things like that. But again, strength training is going to help that. And that is like one of the ways how you can overcome that, right? And so people automatically kind of jump to, oh, it's, 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 it's mobility training, it's breath work, it's so on. But all that is actually encompassed within the framework of, of, of strength training. So chasing mobility just to have a passive range of motion that you can't articulate power within has zero value. So if you're chasing massive extensive mobility and you can't like control and use that, it has no value. And in fact, you could be compromising joint integrity and things like that. So, so we need to understand the difference between flexibility and mobility. So a lot of people chase flexibility thinking that it's mobility and mobility is the ability to do power within that. So I can almost do the splits and I can used to be able to squat a thousand pounds, right? Um, and I do that without stretching because I move properly within that range of motion. Now we talk breath work, you know, you mentioned yoga. Uh, so there's a lot of commonalities between every practice. If we chase it back through ancient yoga has blown up really, really fast and there's some, there's some great components to it, but there's also a lot of breakdown in the education and control of quality in it. Like I see so many yoga instructors talking about belly breathing. Well, belly breathing is a default pattern. We actually have to learn to, 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 to get the positions and posture 
to, I'm going to dive into some complexity here for just a second. You don't have to fully understand it, but to align the, the diaphragm over the top of the, the pelvic floor and actually create an eccentric loading of that, of, of that abdominal cavity. So the diaphragm descends down and it creates an outward pressure, 360 degrees around on all this stuff. And this is essentially... This is one of the core components of what the diaphragm does. So one is respiration, so you don't die. And two is stability, managing your spinal mechanics. And three is controlling the sphincter. So if we have a default pattern, like a poorly taught belly breathing, it actually breaks down this process and can lead to back pain. Uh, yoga instructors have to be, have some of the highest level of back problems uh, of any profession, just so you know, right? Not saying yoga is bad but yoga not done in the correct manner can be. And so anyway, we want to learn to explore our ability to express our body. And so uh, you know, developing the ability to handle more load is going to create stronger muscles. It's going to lead to higher bone density. My training partner, my business partner with Kabuki Strength, he's 73 years old. I started training him at 57 years old. You can find tons of articles on men's health and uh, as well as uh, muscle and fitness on him. He's the strongest septuagenarian that's ever lived. For his 73rd birthday, seven, so he deadlifted 523 pounds, Yeesh. five and two being seven. So he just picked those <laughs> numbers to equate to 73. 523 pound deadlift. He competes as a drug-free athlete in the 198 in the 220 pound class. Squats, almost 500 in just some knee wraps in a belt and benches over 300 pounds at 73. And he is the youngest 73 year old, or perhaps the oldest 21 year old uh, <laughs> that you've ever met both body, mind, spirit. Like it's not like anyone else. Now, a lot of 73 year olds are at a point where they have to worry about not falling down mm -hmm. because if they fall down, they're going to break their hip. And if you break your hip, you're probably going to die in the next five years, five to 10 years. That's what the research shows. I can't remember the exact percentage of that. But Rudy won't do that because Rudy has, this is for our math people out there, statisticians, five standard deviations above the norm for bone density. I'm not a math major, but that sounds thick. <laughs> it is, it is, it is um, like, like the chances that you're seven foot one. Uh, yeah, I'm not that either. So that's okay. that, that, and there's not that many outliers, right? right? right. Um, so uh, I can't remember the the exact numbers, but it's one in God knows how many millions of people, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that happens because of the body's adaptations, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is going to lead to a better quality of life if done correctly. But unfortunately, the strength training paradigm has been done with the wrong mindset, like push through the pain shoving everybody through the same tools and same expectations of, of movement. And so that's what I, what I've done with Kabuki strength is create equipment, some innovative novel stuff that respects the individual. It respects the, the joint and the, in the integrity of the joint. And it does that by rapidly accommodating to, to the individuality, the different lever links, the different mobility restrictions and getting the load in the right places to get the right effect so that, the stresses are all adaptive 
and that we're not jamming joints into a poor position, getting in positions that drive you out of like, let's say pelvis to diaphragm relationship and so on, that I don't have to teach you the, the nuance and the science behind this stuff. It just happens. And all you know is, wow, that squat really feels like nice. Like every other squat I do like hurts and painful and I don't like it. But when I use this bar, oh my God, it feels like an amazing natural pattern and I can load it and I can push it and I feel good, right? Because we're eliminating the non-adaptive stresses on joints and tissues. Um, and then that allows you to elicit a greater level of performance. You can train more frequently, higher volumes, and you're going to recover better. And so those are the outputs. And that's how you take somebody like Rudy at 57, who's had dual shoulder replacements, by the way, and have him become what he is. Yeah, I'm looking at the website now, and we'll link to this course in the show notes. And you have some interesting looking equipment. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, some of it looks standard, but some of the um, the dumbbells and whatnot and how they're shaped is, is it's like, wow. So we take that, that fundamental, is- fun, it's not like novel, like new tech, like mm-hmm. fundamental proven stuff but then completely reinvent it so that around these concepts. And that's why I have <laughs> the leading clinical uh, the, the uh, clinic, clinical advisory board uh, backing my company in the approach. There's no one that has what we do. I have, again, I, I, I spoke to who uses our stuff. Basically everybody in the know on strength training, be it, you know, elite physical therapy places, all your professional and collegiate teams, uh, individuals like the rock. It's the only, he'll only use our product. If you look at his Instagram or even the under armor ads and stuff that, you know, like he's going to have our product next day aired to wherever he's at, if he's going to train, like that's just a fact because that is the impact that, uh, that it has. So it's, uh, it's fundamental stuff, but re-engineered and it's, this is, why did I squat and deadlift a thousand pounds for reps? I did it for three reasons. The first of those I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I'm going to bring to market things that I've walked the walk on. I'm always going to walk the walk. And so with that, I took two fundamental movements that are ingrained in our neurology. This is uh, the squat is something that hits uh, total. Uh, if you follow, uh, study uh, developmental kinesiology around nine months of time frame, you finally move into a standing and walking position. The squat is a, an essential pattern within that. And the deadlift is being able to pick something up off the ground. They uniquely challenge the spine and your ability to control and manage those spinal mechanics. In the past, I've hurt my back so bad that I had to learn to walk again. I had drop foot, nerve damage is in a walker, and I have come back to demonstrate the highest level of ability to control and manage the spinal mechanics, not in a specialist, but the two basic movements that demonstrate the ability to do so to a higher degree than anyone else has done. So that was one walk the walk and show like Mm -hmm. the methodology and the tools they work. And I did that without back pain Two is to inspire others. Like if you fucking chase something like over the top, absolutely. Like people would laugh at you if you said the goal out loud before it was people thought it was feasibly possible that you can do that. And the third, uh, raising money for charities that I believe in that are kind of related to the the life and upbringing I had. Uh, so uh, uh, anyway, that was uh, another tangent. No, no, no. So we'll link to all this, the Kabuki strength, uh, everything in the show notes so the listeners can check it out. Last question for you. What failure would you get the most benefit from going through again? Mm. 
that is a very tough one for me. And so I have a habit. I, I definitely learn from my failures. I, I've got a story to tell. So this is before I embarked on the grand goals journey, which took me five years, by the way, to pull off that squat and deadlift. And I was chasing, competing, and setting the highest powerlifting record by body weight uh, ever done. And I was working towards it for eight years, the last four years, very, very specifically. And I just, I finally, I'm like, I, I had some, you know, physical disabilities uh, that were holding me back. And I kept trying to work around and figure out a way. And I'm like, one last me, nine months from now, I'm going to do this. And a really good friend of mine, he's a well-known author, uh, was working in the facility and he was watching the whole time. And then the day of the meet comes down and I'm on track after the squat, I'm on track after the bench and I'm getting up to the deadlift and my hands had like swollen up and I couldn't hang onto the bar. First one goes, I go out, pull the first one, slips out of my hands. I go out, pull the second one, slips out of my hands. This is it, my last meet ever. And I got to pick up that bar and I'll pull off actually what I set out to do. Go out there, third one, pick it up, almost get to, it's right to lock out, hand opens up, slips out. My friend says, I, I he's like, I was so, I, I go, he's like, I went to walk up to you. He's like, I was going to, I felt like I was going to throw up because I've been watching this journey. I'm like, oh man, Chris is going to be beating himself up so bad. Like, I, I don't even know what to say to him to try to console him. He says, I walked up to you and you turned to me with excitement all over your face and started telling me about the next thing that you're working on. So I don't know if I answered your question directly, <laughs> no. but I think that successful people have an ability to both learn from those experiences, but also not let them eat them up and continue to shift towards what are you going to do next? Yeah. And so I honestly have a lot of problems remembering a lot of my failures uh, or the, the, the emotional impact on it, because I'm always focused on the next new thing that I'm, that I, that I'm after, right? Mm -hmm. Another way of expressing the things that I want to do. And what was the outcome of that? I chased grand goals. There's a documentary movie coming out on it this fall, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I walked away from the, you know, the sport of strength training with doing something that nobody had ever done before. And I did it on my terms. I said exactly what I was going to do and I did it. And that's a, that's a rarity. So uh, that failure ended up being a, a positive thing. Okay. Yeah. So where is the documentary coming out so we can push people there and where else do you want yeah. to people to? So it, um, it's not far enough along that I can give you those details at this okay. point. So uh, it will definitely, it definitely can, will be at least on Netflix, but it may not end up there depending on uh, if we get it to another studio that may sell it to an Amazon or whoever. So, um, so uh, I can't guarantee where it's going to be at just yet. But your website uh, will have it, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. Right, we'll link to the website in the show notes. People can follow you there. Of course, we'll link to. Uh, yeah. Go to, so go to, yeah. Anybody that's got any questions about what I do, uh, you can download the, the first part of my book absolutely free. Mm -hmm the um, get a, a, a link to a free audible download of my book on my website. And if you sign up for the email list that you'll get those things plus exclusive discounts to Kabuki strength. 
uh, barefoot athletics, which we talked about the spine, but the number two priority is actually foot and ankle uh, mechanics. So I'm doing some really unique things in my supplement strategies through uh, Build Fast Formula. Um, so it's a great singular resource that'll drive uh, uh, drive you um, in all those different directions. Awesome. Or okay, find we'll link all that links to social media and all that stuff. Yeah, too. Uh, absolutely. Well, Chris, I enjoyed this. Thanks for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Okay. And there it is. Chris Duffin willing to his full biome and everything in the show notes at warroommedia.com. Or if you're on your phone, just pick it up and look right there. It's right there for you. And we'll talk real soon.